Hi there, I'm Carly Kloss, and this is TechSetters Podcast, hosted by millennial engineers, the brilliant Samantha Weiner and Jenny Wang, made possible by our friends at If Then. If Then is founded on the belief that if we support a woman in STEM, then she can change the world. This series is about telling the human stories behind our greatest innovations, inspiring open conversations with the very people changing our world through tech. In every episode, Jenny and Sam meet the most game-changing COOs and CTOs, founders and engineers, inventors and mentors, showing that behind so many of our favorite products are women just like us, dreaming of new ways to connect, create, and experience the world around us. Here at Codus Classy, we've realized that you can't be what you can't see. And telling these stories has the power to inspire, motivate, and change the world. Turning every one of you listeners into a future legendary guest. In today's episode, Sam and Jenny are speaking to Alexandra Zatarain. Alexandra's work is all about sleep. She's the co-founder and VP of brand and marketing at 8sleep the world's very first sleep fitness company. She works with her team to use the most advanced technology for all of their products that help people sleep just a little bit better. Raised in Tijuana, Alexandra has worked in academia, on Wall Street, and for various apps. She's a Forbes 30 under 30, an angel investor, and a mentor with WeNYC, an initiative to support female business owners. I hope you enjoy. So Alex, you're originally from Tijuana, studied communications in college, and worked in PR before co-founding Eight with your husband. Can you tell us about when you first discovered your passion for technology, and who were some early champions in your journey of founding a company? You know, I never really thought of technology as something that was separate from life. I don't know if it's a generational thing that by the time we started using computers and you were using chat rooms and a blackboard in college. It was just part of life. So I think that's so beautiful, especially for people who are growing up right now and that, that those new generations were like, they never lived without a cell phone. And I think that just conditioned me to think about this just as a natural part of life. And I do think as the more I see it, it's so enriching. And so I never thought of it as I needed to become technical in order to be able to make an impact in the technology world. And I, I was interested, however, in using the background in marketing and comms, which is my passion, to build better solutions and products for the world. It just happened to be that the product that I got into was pretty technical. But I, I think that there are so many companies that are also building solutions in other space that don't have that technology component where I could have probably also had a lot of fun. Um, early Champions it was probably my co-founders, like I always talk about the fact that when I joined them and what they were building, it was really Mateo and Max who kind of came up with the idea and started talking about it. And I would hear them talk about it. Mateo is my husband. Eventually they invited me to join them on this and they wanted someone to help them bring the product to market. So my skills were a natural fit. And I was really upfront with them. And I told them, you know, I'm, I'm much younger than you guys. I have no experience building companies like you guys have. I have never done this specific type of like product marketing, which is direct to consumer. It was, it was a hardware product. It was totally different for me. And I told them like, I, I, can, I can do this if you trust me. And if you also help me and the help you could give me is by introducing me to people that you know, 
in your networks, because you have a bigger network than I have, who can teach me about what I should be looking into, where I should be learning, where I should expand my skills. So I always am so grateful for them just being such true partners. You know, it's like a true business partnership and we understand each other's um, skill sets, but also where maybe we're not really strong and how we can complement. And supporting each other along this growth journey is so impressive. It's so important, especially when you're building something so early. Yeah. You're going to change a lot throughout the years. And so you're going to see, it, it really is like getting into a marriage. You're going to see each other change and your interests may change and you may be able to grow in certain directions, but no, not others. Suddenly you have to manage people. And, you know, there are things that you maybe have never experienced that that partnership is so crucial and being able to communicate how you're feeling about your own personal growth and pushing each other as well to, to be better, right? You don't just want to stay in that state of stasis forever. Um, there's this a lot of interesting kind of mental dynamics that go into building a company that I like to talk a lot about as well. It's so much more of a personal journey of pushing yourself to grow than anything else. Like that is the most important thing that's going to happen is you could you're going to see yourself kind of flourish into areas that you never thought you would be able to develop. And remind us, when did you get started? So we started the company, we launched it in 2015. So it's been six years. And yeah, it's, it's been quite a bit. It's been my longest held job. So I do feel like I have become the professional I am at Ainsley. And in six years, you've built a lot. I mean, as you know, I'm obsessed with the eight sleep bed. Like literally the first thing I do every morning as I, I pull out the app, I look at how many tosses and turns I had last night. What was my heart rate variability? Was I stressed? And I'm just always so blown away. Like the sensors are so accurate. The machine learning algorithms that control the temperature of the bed throughout the night. It is, as you said, it's a hardware problem, but it's also a software problem. And TechSetters is all about trying to break down what were some of maybe the engineering breakthroughs that enabled this product to be possible. So could you tell us a bit about that? Like what powers the pod? Yeah, it was really complex. And I think if if anyone who's listening to this bought our early products, which we have actually encountered some people who say, hey, I bought your first product off of Indiegogo, they would probably be like, well, that product was great. You know, and I think that is part of that journey, especially when you're building something so complicated that has as you were saying, there's hardware, there's software, there's machine learning, there's the app experience, has so many components to it that so many things can go wrong. And some of the complicated aspects of it were one with hardware, you have very long iteration cycles. So once you commit to building a product a certain way, it's going to take quite a long time to make a change for that. So when we built our first product, we learned from that. Like once you commit to um, designing the sensor a certain way, you need to wait maybe like a year before you can start deploying a different sensor strip. Um, so we definitely made a lot of mistakes there. And the, the way that we solved that was just by like hiring people that knew what they were doing. There are certain areas where as much as as a founder, you want to learn and you want to figure it out, uh, you do need that expertise. And so we've been really lucky to be able to bring on board um, a, a person at the seniority that knows how to build and ship products and then a team under that person who can actually execute on that vision. And that's been life-changing for the company. And that's how we were able to get from that original product to the pod, which is now our signature bestseller. We launched the first version of the pod in February of 2019. But by the time we launched the pod, the other issues beyond hardware had really been stuck in like that data world. And because 
in order to build these algorithms, we had to figure out how to train them. And there's not a lot of places where you can really just go and like buy training data that you can use to build your own algos. So we were lucky that no one has done this exactly, or the ones that have maybe are the wearables, right? And it's not like Apple's going to sell us their data to build their own competitive product. And so it was an interesting challenge, but we had the data from previous versions of products. So that product may not have been great on the hardware end or user experience, but it was helping us build this data mode because we were collecting immense amounts of, of anonymized data. And then we started working with third parties. So working with clinics like in Mount Sinai Sleep Center with UCSF and running studies where the study would allow them to discover something that they wanted to discover or prove and also have a data share component where they could give us back anonymized data that was gathered in a clinical environment that we could use to train our own algorithms and also to identify how accurate we were. It's a process. Like it really is a, a process where like every day we're collecting a terabyte of data, every day our algos are kind of continuing to train and get better over time. And that's where we're really lucky, where our co-founder, Max, who, um, who's our CTO, that's his world. He came from the world of big data. And so he warned us that it would take a long time, but we also identified kind of the path that we needed to follow to eventually get to where we are. Yeah, and that path from going from the stages on Indiegogo to where you are now is really impressive to see. I mean, you went starting out to raise capital and early investors thought this idea of a multi-thousand dollar bed was a bit far-fetched. You know, as you navigated this, how did you manage any doubts that you may have had while trying to recruit, build a world-class team for building this next venture and taking such ambitious goals? That is the hardest part is just all the self-doubt. You know, when other people may not be joining you on your vision, even when maybe someone you want to hire rejects your offer, decides to work for a different company or an investor tells you no, it's hard to not take it personal. And the the biggest challenge is that you start doubting if the, if you have any sense of sanity and <laughs> maybe you think that you're crazy and that you are seeing something where there's nothing. Um, and I, honestly, that happens all the time. That happens now. It, it's I, it's part of it. I think it's it's part of human nature. Um, the, the, the confidence is not always going to be there. The way that we deal with it, I think, especially as, as co-founders and also with our executive team within the company, is to go back and look at the impact that the product is having, which is easier to do now than what is in the early days when you haven't shipped your product. When we wake up and we see tweets from people who said, I had my first night on eight sleep and I loved it, or I've been sleeping on it for three weeks, it's been a game changer. And I'm seeing how much better my Apple Watch or my Aura data is, is, is showing me on deep sleep. And that is, at the end of the day, all we need. That's the fuel so that my morning is brighter, that I know that there's a sense of purpose as to why we're doing this. So if, if anyone struggles with that or is having kind of a hard patch, I think going back and talking to your customers and the people who love your product is the best way to get re-energized. I definitely want to ask more about leadership lessons. But before, before I do that, what was one tweet or like one person who said they love the bed that just blew you away? My God, there have been 
many. Actually, probably the most interesting ones are the ones that don't tweet, but suddenly we get someone like DM us on Instagram, like Steve Aoki DM'd and said, I want to get one of your beds because one of my friends has been raving about it. And we're like, what? <laughs> Is this for real? And we sent him one and he loved it and he posted about it. But just the fact that you suddenly realize that there are people around the world talking about it to each other and that you never know who you're going to reach and how they may actually opt into this sort of lifestyle that we're building. I love that. I have probably recommended it to everyone who will listen to me. You mentioned earlier that it was your co-founder's belief in you and and like the early days of the team formation that really inspired you and gave you the confidence to build this company. And one of your co-founders is your husband, Matteo. And sometimes like, I feel like investors can be a little bit skeptical where the company is founded by a couple. And so I was wondering, like, are there any lessons that you've learned surrounding that? Or is there maybe a piece of advice you would tell a founder who is going through the same thing? Sure. And you know, it's interesting that we don't talk about it more because I do hear from a lot of women founders who are starting companies with their partners or their siblings, or maybe like a really close friend. And there's a lot of concerns of how they're going to make it work. Um, we had that initially too. We had investors totally reject us because of it. We also had investors who invested in us and didn't know we were married until months ago. They're <laughs> like, really? We have, I did, I did keep my last name. Um, we don't change our last names in Mexico. So I thought that that was going to be like a big identity change for me. Um, but yeah, no one really kind of knows. And, and I think it also speaks to the fact that in our case, we really keep our roles split, which is the biggest recommendation I always have to start off with very clearly defined roles. And um, that will help you because it'll establish ownership of certain areas of the company. Because the reality is whether you're, together in a relationship or not, most of the conflict with the leaders of a company will come in those boundaries of where your ownership areas overlap. And the more you can make those clear, the easier it'll be to work together. So that would be step number one, define your roles. In our case, Mateo's the CEO, I'm the head of brand and marketing. So I obviously report to him. So that would be the topic number two, which is depending on how you establish that relationship, if you end up reporting to your significant other, you need to find a way to deal with uh, feedback and disagreement. Because those are the other areas where generally conflict comes um, to happen when you are in a manager uh, um, managerial relationship, right? So this would happen, again, even if you were not in a relationship. But in a relationship, what makes it a little bit harder is that you know each other really well. And that when you also finish working, you're going to be with each other for the rest of the day. And so if you carry on that conflict to your personal life, that's going to start straining your work relationship and your personal relationship. So you need to be able to deal with the feedback and the disagreements in the work setting. And that will take um, a lot of work. That is probably the area where it was the hardest for us. And the only way to deal with it is time. You need practice. So you need, you're going to have to get into those disagreements and those conflicts and that open communication. And what we do um, that works for us and that we actually have it as a, as a key value for the company is you need to assume that everyone in that conversation is uh, giving you feedback or commentary with the best of intentions, that no one is coming into that trying to minimize you or hurt you or that they don't have your back. 
And so if you come get into that room and you're going to fight it out, but you believe that you're sharing with each other very respectfully and out of the intention of making things work for the company, um, then you'll eventually you will come out uh, in, a, in a positive light and you'll be able to solve anything. I think assuming good intent is so important in having those conversations because as opposed to just going after each other and having this sense that it's a personal attack, you're sort of really able to be at least a bit more objective about how do we solve this problem together. I'm curious, just from that point, what were some of those early challenges that you encountered? I mean, I found myself in a place where one mistake or one disagreement that went too far can feel like the end, right? I don't know if you could share an experience of a time where it felt like you had failed and how did you overcome that and what lessons did you take away from it? Yeah, we actually had back in the day, probably after we did Y Combinator, um, we had this product. The product I was describing, which is like our first hardware product, we crowdfunded it, we sold, like, I believe, something like 8,000 units. It was always almost over a million dollars of, of revenue from that product. And we were having a really hard time accelerating growth for that product. And it was, it was hard also on us as founders because, again, of those dynamics of ownership, right? There's the, the product team that has been working hard on it, the CEO that has raised money. And then for me and my small team, we're probably like three people, we're trying to continue to accelerate sales for this product that we had. So we were constantly getting in those conflicts where you're almost blaming each other. You know, you're kind of trying to subscribe blame. Maybe you say, well, if the product was better, if the product did this, well, if we had more money and we can hire more people, well, if you knew how to get better ads out there and you can fall into that trap so quickly and just your relationships are going to turn so sour very, very fast. And I think we were in that for a little bit. And, you know, we always say, and I think you hear a lot of founders talk about it, is that growth solves everything. Conflict is always going to exist. Disagreement is always going to exist. But when the company's doing well, it's so easy to be happy and just like brush everything <laughs> down the table and forget that it exists. But when it's not is when this is going to surface. And so eventually the way that we got out of it is by going back to that trust and say, okay, do we believe that we're all in this with the best of intentions and that each of us in our era is trying our best? Yes. Okay. So now let's trust that with that motivation, each of us is going to figure it out and let's try to put a plan together for what does it take. And eventually what ended up happening is we kind of switched, if you could think about like our, our business model, or like our product line. And we went for, from selling a product that maybe was like a lower margin um, product with a no category, it was hard to kind of really define even what would people search on Google to find us to the product that was our first smart mattress. And so we, we went from this kind of very bad, slow growth period to figuring out a way to launch a new product with our same technology that would suddenly position us in a, in a, in a point where we could solve many of these problems we were having as a company, which was growth, identifying ourselves with a category, being able to find a key consumer, have a higher margin product, which meant that we can reinvest in, in marketing and R&D and, and so forth. But it, it took a while. I think it was probably a process of a year to figure all that out. I guess tactically, when you were going from this phase of being in this sort of cycle of non-productive feedback and communication, what was that first step? Was it just saying, you know, someone stepping up and being that person that says, everyone, let's go sit in a room and let's actually talk this out? 
Or how did you actually even start this conversation? Yeah, we, we would have frequent conversations, more than like one big one. Especially in the early days, we would really have the practice of spending time together as founders. And so we would you know, have dinner, we'd have lunch, with each other on the weekends. And so you spent, the more time you spend together, the, these things are impossible to ignore if you're like mad at each other or you're not in agreement with how something's being managed. So I would start there. It's just like, make sure you're spending time together. If you start feeling like you don't want to spend time with one another, it's just like a marriage. You'll probably want to go to counseling. You'll want to figure out a way to surface what is happening because you should enjoy spending time with your business partners. So that was always, that was, that was something that was always there. Just that time together as, as a factor um, helped us a lot. Eventually we did, once we figured that we had to really change something in the business, we did have one big conversation that I remember where Mateo called that meeting and sat us all down and said, okay, here is what I think we could do. Here is why it's going to be risky for the business. Here is the potential upside. We need to make a decision together. And I remember very clearly, because I think it was one of the first times that as a group, we had to make a decision that had, it was a big risk. And we kind of looked at each other and as we went back to that trust and we said, okay, are we going to jump and do this? And I, I think, I mean, that changed the course of our company. So it was a good decision to make, but it required launching a product in like two months. It was crazy. It was something that only startups really get into in these early stages. And it's a conversation that I never forget. I remember it was, the, you know, the place, the, the setting, everything about it. Those moments where you're really defining that trust and you realize, okay, once you have that establishment and once you're able to get to that decision, you're able to sprint through crazy timelines and you're able to have these bursts of energy to get you through to that next phase. And so I think that's really incredible. Yeah, that's how I feel about them too. Is like if if you if you have that trust, everything else you can kind of solve, honestly. So when you feel like that's eroding, that's the time to go back and talk about it. Now there's so many options too for founders to do like founders counseling, founders therapy together. And I think that's a great option too. So before Sam goes into our signature question, I was just curious if you could give us a sneak peek on if there's any exciting new product developments coming up. Yes, we always have. So we're always working on new versions of, of the pod. So the pod has become what we define as our iPhone, right? So it's the signature product is, is a product that we will continue to use to improve sleep. Right now we do that through temperature regulation, but the vision for the company has always been to manage all the other factors that could get in the way of a good night's sleep. So we're working on things on that directly in the pod and also other products outside of the pod. So a lot of exciting things happening over the next year for our product line and also things on the digital side, which we have tested and kind of played around in the past, but we're going more deeply into that. You know, especially now people have become more interested in investing in their health and wellness and spending time prioritizing their sleep. So we want to make sure that we give that sort of offering of any tools or materials and educational content that we can to our members who sleep on the pod so that they have it available wherever they go. I was just noticing on my table, I, I have the uh, blue light blocking glasses that you gave me and I wear them every day. Oh, I love them. Saving your eyes, making it easier for you to fall asleep after staring at screens all day. Yeah, they are really, really good. So every episode, we like to go over one piece of actionable advice that you wish that you had known earlier. So if you were to give actionable advice to someone that's just starting out, what, what piece of advice would you have? Invest in building your network. 
the most important thing. When I was starting off in my career, even through the early days of Eight Sleep, I was so focused on just executing my job so well. And I just wanted to deliver what they were asking for me and do it at my best. And I was great at doing that. And what I have learned is that so many times the biggest value add is going to come from someone that you know, either because they're going to teach you something because they may be experts in an area that you're not, or they may connect you to someone who knows how to do something you're trying to figure out. So just investing that time in building your network and maintaining that and being helpful to other people whenever they need it, that's always going to pay back. So Alex, we love to end each episode with a bite-sized round, like computer bite of lightning questions. So to kick us off, what are the three best things about the Miami tech scene? Well, part of the tech scene, but also just Miami itself. Um, You can do meetings outdoors because the weather is always amazing. So that's pretty fun. There's a lot of physical activity involved too. So you can meet people when you want to go play tennis, when you want to go go play golf. So it's very active and healthy lifestyle. And it's still kind of small and exciting. You know, it's like being part of something that's just starting to bubble up. So there's opportunity to connect with everyone who's making the move into the city, um, which kind of makes me reminisce about the early days of the New York tech scene too. I feel like you're best friends with the mayor already. (laughs) (laughs) I wish, but he he is awesome and he does sleep on a pod. So um, we've converted him to the world of sleep fitness and he's just been so open and welcoming to everyone coming to the city. So it's great to be able to have that access no matter how big or small your company is. um, He's really willing to learn from everyone. What is one wearable tech product besides the eight sleep pod that you recommend to everyone? Well, I'm a huge fan of Levels. Levels is a company that is working in the space of metabolic fitness. I love using it. Um, and it just has given me so much insight into how I metabolize food, which is very different for each individual. So I've learned some interesting things around how pasta is maybe not the best thing for me, even though I love it. However, I can eat tons of guac and chips and be totally fine. Who, who's a fellow Latina in tech that inspires you? Well, there's actually someone who's also from my city, from Tijuana, Beatriz Acevedo, who's just awesome. And she um, started a company called Me Too. And now she has another company more in the, in the financial space called Sumo Wealth. And it's just so good to see someone else from my hometown making it in tech, also in this kind of like you know, marketing type background, so someone not necessarily like super technical. And to see that you can be a successful entrepreneur or a successful businesswoman um, in, in an industry that's not generally within reach for someone that grew up in our environment. How do you begin your morning to start off the day energized? I get coffee. I'm not great at drinking coffee, actually. So I would do like a cappuccino or a latte because it's more milk than actual coffee. And I like to work out at least like three times a week, especially on the weekends. And yeah, I'll do either like a Peloton ride or I'll do some workout on a mat, um, that gets me going. Just maybe like the music, you know, just being without my phone and doing something different. That's a great way to just clean my brain, think about my day before I get started in front of my computer. I love that. I feel the same way. What's one skill you've learned during quarantine? I started baking, which I'm, I'm not into cooking. I've never been much of a kitchen person. But during quarantine, I started baking and I started baking Italian desserts because my husband's Italian. So I really was giving it a try and I became really good at making tiramisu. So now he's like obsessed with my tiramisu and I feel like I've just conquered it and I'm so proud of myself. 
I've just recently started trying to make sourdough bread a year into quarantine or a year plus into quarantine. And so I'm a little slow on this baking trend. I similarly never cooked, but now I'm like, wow, you can do so much. It was because someone gave me some starter and I was like, great. Guess now I have to learn. Yeah, it's kind of relaxing, honestly. What's your dream post-COVID travel destination? Well, I have not seen my family in over a year. So I definitely want to go back to California. My family's in Southern California. So I want to go back and visit them because it's been a while. And um, yeah, you know, feeling of home always recharges me. So I think that's probably the trip I'm most looking forward to, just like being with some friends and family and people who don't talk about tech and the industry for a little bit. Uh, but eventually, I would like to make it back to Asia. We actually have a team in China, and um, we haven't seen them in a while. And so it would be great to be able to make a trip back. And I just love visiting and um, eating all the great food as well. Well, stop by SF on your way <laughs> to come hang out. What is one class every college student should take? Philosophy. Why is that? I think like learning anything, I mean, I think literature is really great, but you can just read great books on your own as well. But like, I think philosophy is just gives you such a good foundation for thinking just how humans have been processing things we deal with as humans for millennia and understanding how we've been able to think through some of these parts of human conditions for the longest time to me was super eye-opening and I really enjoyed um, taking philosophy classes. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the class discussions are so enriching as opposed to just reading those things on your own that it's totally worth taking in college. What's Eight Sleep's elevator pitch? We are a health and wellness company focused on sleep fitness, and we use technology to help people sleep better. Last question. How many hours of sleep do you get a night? Oh, I do get between eight and nine. So I don't know where my average is right now, but probably I'm assuming it's at over eight hours. And people don't believe that, but we, we really do. Oh, I believe it. I'm, I'm a, I'm, Jenny knows this. I am a person that is like offline by 10 PM. I love my sleep. Same for me. I got an A plus. I got a 97 last night. (laughs) Nice. That is pretty good. Well, thank you so much, Alex. This was so much fun. And we are so excited to have you here to talk about eight sleep. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be able to share a little bit of our journey and hopefully it'll only be more exciting in the future. Setters is a Code with Classy podcast powered by If Then. If we can empower a woman in STEM, then she can change the world. 